Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Well, I'm sharing today from John chapter 8, and we're going to talk about experiencing freedom in Christ. What an appropriate subject for a day like today. And in John chapter 8, verse 36, right in the middle of this, Jesus said, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Praise God. Freedom is the heart of the gospel. Praise God, and it takes Jesus to make you free. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, in the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It says this in another translation. It said, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Thank God Christ set us free to live the free life. Another translation says it that way. Praise God. We're free to live, free to love, free to serve. Praise God. We're free to be all we can be, free to give, free to forgive. He talks about all those things in the book of Galatians. But we're going to talk about the different aspects how we as believers can experience freedom as we go through John chapter 8. And the first thing I'm going to talk about is we have freedom through forgiveness or freedom through the grace of God. Let's begin in John chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 11. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman taken in adultery, and when they set her in the midst, they said, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And when they continued to ask him, they pressed the matter. He lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman, and he said unto her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So these religious leaders brought this woman caught in adultery to Jesus. I I don't think they really cared about the woman. I really don't even think they cared about the adultery. It says they did this to accuse him. They wanted to get Jesus in a trap. And they said, Jesus, the law says, Moses says, stoner, what do you say? And Jesus said, well, if you haven't sinned, you throw the first rock. Now they all left from the oldest to the youngest. Now, you know, nobody can answer that question if you've not sinned, right? No, but Jesus is the only one who never sinned. So Jesus is the only one who really has a right to condemn this woman. And Jesus refuses to condemn her. And he leaves it in their hand. You know, the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. These were students of the law 
that brought this woman to Jesus. And so they brought her and, and they were trying to get her condemned. And Jesus, right, ministers grace. Jesus ministers forgiveness in the situation. Now, a lot of people have talked about what Jesus said when he wrote in the dirt. Some of them said he began to write their names and what they did beside it. I, I really don't think that's the truth because Jesus is the grace of God. And I don't think he's bringing light to their sin. My son Aaron believes that in what Jesus did is he began to write from Deuteronomy chapter 17, which may be correct, verse 8 through verse 12. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 8 through verse 12, the Bible says it's right in the middle of the law. If you have a matter that is too hard for you to judge, then you bring that person to the priest. And then whatever the priest declares is what's going to happen. If the matter's too hard for you to judge. And if you don't go with what the priest says, then you'll be put to death. That's probably what Jesus said. So they brought her to him. So essentially Jesus says, I'm the priest in the matter. Since you brought her to me, if you don't go by what I say, then you'll be put to death. And they left. Whoever of you have not sinned, you throw the first stone. And they left from the oldest to the youngest. And Jesus, is, she's left there with this woman. And she's the only one. He's the only one who has the right to condemn her because he's the only one who's never sinned. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. So Jesus releases her from condemnation. Do you know what? We've been set free from condemnation. We've been set free from judgment. We've been set free to live the free life, just like we quoted. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Christ set us free to live the free life. Stand forth, fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Legalism always brings bondage. But Jesus sets us free. And he sets us free with his grace. He sets us free, free through forgiveness. So the first thing that gives us freedom is forgiveness or grace. The second thing that I believe sets us free is getting to know who Jesus is. I believe that is at the heart of the gospel, to know him. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection being made conformable to his death. Actually, that's Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. But Paul says, amen, that I may know him. That's the ultimate goal of the gospel is to know him. And so we go on and read as we read in verse 12 through verse 30 about knowing who Jesus is. Then spoke Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see, when we get to know him, we, we, get, we experience his life in us. See, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me is not going to walk in darkness, but you'll have the very light of life. Now, as you study the scripture Jesus is love, Jesus is light, and Jesus is life. And when you come to know Christ, he takes up his life on the inside of you. And he puts his nature on the inside of you. And so he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. 
And, and a candle that's a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Praise God. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. I love Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. It says, for you were sometimes in darkness. Before you came to know Christ, you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is who you are. Walk as children of the light. Guess what? Light is stronger than the darkness. A lot of people want to focus on the darkness, on the death, on the problems in the world. But if you'll learn to focus on the light, and Christ is the light, and the light is in you. Guess what? Light is stronger than darkness. The Bible says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So Jesus is life, Jesus is light, Jesus is love, and he's taken up his nature in us. Praise God. And, and, you know, when we came into this room today, we didn't curse the darkness. We turned on the light. And when you turn on the light, guess what? The, the darkness leaves because light is stronger than darkness. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, you bear record of yourself and your record is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know where I came and I would know where I'm going, but you cannot tell where I came from and where I go. You judge after the flesh. I judge no man, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. Then they said, where is your Father? Jesus said, you don't know me nor my Father, in verse 19. For if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. What's Jesus saying? Jesus saying, I am the son of God. These words spoke Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come. Then Jesus again said unto them, I go my way and you seek me and die in your sins. But where I go, you cannot come. Then the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he said, where I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I said, therefore, unto you in verse 22, 24, that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you will die in your sins. You know there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are sinners and there are saints. There are believers and there are unbelievers. There are people who are born of God and not born of God. There are people that are on their way to heaven and people that are on their way to hell. And the only way that you can change your destination from hell to heaven is by believing on Jesus. Now, then they said unto him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, even the same that I said to you from the beginning. In other words, I've kept my story the same. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I've heard of him. Then they understood then they understood not that he spoke to them of the Father. So what Jesus essentially was saying is God is my Father. I am the Son of God. Who is Jesus? He's light, he's life, he's love, but he's the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, in verse 20, 28, then Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, not only is he the Son of God, but he is the Son of Man. Then shall you know that I am he and that nothing I do of myself, but my father has taught me and I speak these things. So what he's saying is I'm going to go to the cross. 
I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. So the Son of God became the Son of Man, right? And as the Son of Man, he died on the cross, and he's the Savior of the world. He says, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things, and he's, he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for do I do always the things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed on him. So the number one way that we can have freedom is through grace and through forgiveness. The number two way that we have freedom is through knowing Jesus. Amen? He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's the Savior of the world. He's the light of the world. But then, what do we need to do as believers? Let's go on. Because it doesn't stop when you get saved. How many of you know your life with Christ doesn't stop? You don't just get saved and you're just hanging on and hoping to God to get there. You know, the church I grew up in was a lot like that. You get saved and you just hold on and hope to God you make it. One person explained it this way years ago. It's like you have one foot in the grave and one foot on banana peel. But you know, it's not that way. You know, we're not just holding on and hoping to God we make it. We're not looking at our performance, but we're looking at his grace. But as believers, there's more. Praise God. And he begins to talk about that. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him in verse 31, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Praise God. We have freedom, praise God, through a revelation of the word of God. How many of you know it's the truth that you know that makes you free? Now notice what he said to those who believe on him in verse 31. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now what are disciples? First of all, a disciple is a disciplined student of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I like what somebody called it, Christ followers. Praise God. We are disciplined students of the Lord. We're disciplined students of his word. If you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. Second of all, a disciple is one who walks in love. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, By this shall, you, uh, shall all men know that you're my disciples because you love one another. Praise God. So number one, a disciple is a disciplined student of the word. Number two, a disciple is one who walks in love. Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 says, put on charity, put on the God kind of love, which is the bond of perfection, the bond of maturity. Praise God. You know how we tell how mature you are? By how well you walk in love. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so, you know what? We need to keep walking in love. Love is the law of the new covenant. Praise God. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. But then, not only do we need to keep walking in love, but Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 8. He said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. What brings forth, what, what brings glory to God? It, it brings glory to God when we bring forth fruit. This, this glorifies my Father. Herein is my Father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. God wants you to bring forth a lot of fruit. Praise the Lord. The Bible actually says this in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. 
Praise God. The first fruit is love. Love is the nature of God. But all of these fruit flow forth from the supernatural fruit of love. Love, joy. Praise God. I've never seen somebody in strife that's walking in joy. You can't walk in strife and walk in joy at the same time. Praise God. Love, joy, peace. Love and peace go together. Long-suffering. Love is suffers long, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Praise God. I'm not very good sometimes at long suffering, you know. If a cow kicks me home, kick him back. You know? <laughs> Love suffers long, isn't kind. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness. You see, you're talking about cows. That's not so hard, Pastor. It's all these Christians that we live with. Well, you know, have you, ever, have you ever, ever spent very much time around sheep? If you've ever spent time around sheep, they have a really strong odor. It's very uh, distinct. <laughs> and so, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. These are the fruit of the Spirit. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. So we can tell we're disciples by, number one, do we keep the word? Are we disciplined students of the word? Number two, do we walk in love? Love is the bond of perfection. Number three, do we have the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. He said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And if you continue in my word and become my disciple, you will know the truth. You will know the truth and the truth, look at this, shall make you free. When you get to know the truth, the truth will pick you up out of bondage and the truth will carry you into freedom. See, there are some people that talk about truth, right? They're trying to grasp truth, but when you really get a hold of truth, when you get a revelation of it, we get freedom by revelation of the Word of God. And when you get revelation from the Word of God and you get that truth and you know it on the inside of you, listen, there's certain places you're not going. There's certain things you're not doing. Why? Because you got a revelation of that. I have a revelation of certain things. And because I have a revelation of certain things, I'm not going to go in certain ways. I'm not going to, you know, certain things I'm just not going to put my stamp of approval on because I have a revelation that comes from God and when you get a revelation of certain things the truth that you know that that is revelation to you will make you free it'll deliver you from that they answered him and said we're Abraham's seed when Jesus began to talk about freedom it kind of offended their religion and we were never in bondage to any man how do you say that you will be made free now, Jesus knows that as Jews, they're good students of the law, right? By the law, the scripture says, is the knowledge of sin, Galatians 3.20. So he, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. So they were saying that they were free, and Jesus was saying, okay, you say you're free, but whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. So immediately, their consciences were condemned, right, because they knew that they were sinners, so they were saying they're free, and Jesus said, well, if you're committing sin, you're not free. You're a slave. And he says, and the slave does not abide in the house forever. The servant doesn't abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. 
If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus said, I came to take you out of this slave thinking, this slave way of being, and to make you free. Praise God. You know, the Bible says this in Galatians, I think in chapter 5, verse 4, that we are no more servants but sons. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are the children of God. And he took us out of this legalistic way of thinking. And if you have an Old Testament law-based way of thinking, it will actually bring you into bondage. It's a performance mentality. And many people in the body of Christ still have a performance mentality. But what the performance mentality does for you, if you are a really, really good boy for a day, you can come sit at the master's table, right? And I want to compare it to slaves and sons, right? If you remember the, the, the plantations in the old days, right? Where the owner of the plantation lived in this big white, you know, palace, big pillars. You can see, you know, beautiful two-story place, veranda all around. You've got the picture, right? And, and, and so... If a slave does a really good job for, for this master for a day, he might come in. The master might invite him in and might bring him in and sit him at his table and he might to get, eat, to get to eat dinner with the master. But at the end of the day, what happens? He goes back out into the back 40, right? Into the slave's quarters, into his shanty. And he lives in his shanty because he is a slave. He is not a son. But the master's son right, lives in the house. And the master's son eats at the master's table every day, whether he's been good or whether he's been bad, because it's not about really what he's done. It's about who he is. And Jesus said, I came to change who you are. I came to take you out of slavery and put you into sonship. Praise God. I came to take you out of being a servant and make you a son. Bring you into freedom. He therefore that the son, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now I grew up in the plains of Colorado. Where the buffalo roam. If you've ever watched Bonanza, right? Hoss Cartwright. And he lives in a big, nice chaparral, you know? He lives in a big, nice ranch house on the place. But he has these servants, right? He has these cowboys. And they're out there riding the range. And at the end of the day, they come and they live in the bunkhouse, right? And you, have you ever seen a bunkhouse? When I grew up, when I was a kid, our neighbors had a bunkhouse, and you know they're about 16 or 20 foot long. They're about 12 foot wide, right? Maybe, you know, maybe 16, they got a round top. They have a, a wood stove right in the middle of them. And they have about eight people bunking there, right? I mean, it is a shanty. It's just barely getting by, right? And so, you know, Hoss Cartwright's servants, you know, if they did really good on the ranch and served really well, they might have come and sat down at Hoss Cartwright's table and had a really nice steak dinner. But at the end of the day, they went back to the bunkhouse and they lived in the bunkhouse. Did you know what? Jesus came to take you out of the bunkhouse and put you in the ranch house. He came to take you out of the slaves' quarters and put you into the master's quarters. And it's not because Johnny's been a good boy. It's because he loves you and he changed your nature and you are no more a slave but a son. 
Hallelujah. You know what? My sons grew up in my house. I remember one day I got a call, one from Barbara, one of them had been not the best. Now, my, my boys were good boys, but when they were at school, one of them got in trouble, and that occasionally happened, and when my boys were in school, if they got in trouble in the school, they were generally in trouble when they got home, right? So Barbara called me, and I was at work, and I said, honey, I'll get home, and I'll deal with this later, and, and I got delayed for some reason. When I came home, my son, who got in trouble at school that day, was sitting at my table and he was eating a ribeye steak. Now, you know what? He wasn't eating that ribeye steak because he was a really good boy. He was eating that ribeye steak because he was my son. Hallelujah. Not only that, once in a while I'd get a Coke or an ice cream. I'd put it in the back of the refrigerator, you know, hide it. But my boys, they'd find out about it and they'd go in there without permission. And they would get in my refrigerator and they would get my Coke, and they would drink it, you know. You know, now once in a while, I'll buy a, a, an expensive drink. To me, an expensive drink is a dollar drink, okay? And I'll hide it in the back of the refrigerator, and I'll think that's going to be my drink. But my boy, you know, my boys, even now, they'll come home, and they'll raid my house. I'm like, where is that? We just bought that. Oh, you know, they came over, and they, they just, you know, they needed some, so they just took it. Praise God. I'm like, hallelujah. Amen. You know what? They're sons. You don't have to have special permission. Whatever's in the refrigerator is yours. Whatever is in the covenant is yours. It's not because Johnny's been a good boy. It's because Jesus was a good boy. And when you believed on Jesus, you became his child. And you are a child of God. Because you're a child of God, all the promises of God are yours. Praise God. So, we have freedom through what? Revelation of the word. And when you get a revelation of the word, you begin to understand that you're no longer slaves, but you're children, you're sons, you're daughters of God. And everything that is in his house is for you. And it's not about your performance. It's about his grace. Now they go on. The conversation continues. Jesus said, I know you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. You see, they had no relationship with the word. He said, I speak to you that which I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. Then they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. Did this did not Abraham, Abraham didn't do this. He said, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither did I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Notice he said, you cannot hear my word. Why couldn't they hear the word of God? They couldn't hear the word of God because they were not born of God. Again, there are only two kinds of people, right? There are believers and unbelievers. There are those who've been born again and those who've not been born again. There are those, right, who are on their way to heaven and there are those on their way to hell. So once you believe on Jesus, you have been born of God. Do you know before you're born of God, the word of God really makes no sense to you. It, it, it's like your mind is blind to the Word of God. But once you're born again, the Word of God begins to make sense. You begin to understand it. He said, and then Jesus, listen to what he goes on to say. He said, you're of your father the devil. You see, there are those who are the children of God, and there are those who are the children of the devil. 
and the lust of the father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own for he is a liar. The problem with them was they were listening to a liar. And when you're listening to a liar, you're not going to understand the truth. Jesus was speaking the truth of the word. He says there's no truth in him. He says he's a liar and the father of because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? You see, Jesus was not a sinner. Jesus was a saint. Amen. He did no sin. And I say the truth, and why don't you believe me? He that is of God hears God's words, and you therefore hear them not because you are not of God. Here's the deal. You're either born of God, right? Born of the word. When you're born again, you're born of the word. Right? If you're born again, there's a, there's a point in time that you made a conscious decision to believe the truth of God's word. Amen? How did you get saved? You heard the word about Jesus, and you believed it. And you had to make, at some point in time, you made a conscious decision to believe that. Right? If you've not been born again, there, you know, there's not a point in time that you made a conscious decision to believe the word. See, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we're born again, not by corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed of the word of God that is living and abiding forever. Amen? You've been born of the word. When you believe the word, you heard the word that Jesus came, right? That he lived a sinless, perfect, holy, pure life. That he died on the cross for your sins. That God raised him from the dead and made him Lord. And you believe that and you confess Jesus is Lord. You did that because you believed the gospel. When you did that, you were born again. James 1.18 says it this way. Of his own will, he begat us with the word of truth that we should be a first, a kind of first fruits of his creation. Amen. God has no second class children. You're a first fruit of his creation. But you, you've got to go on, right? Once you're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, James 1 verse 20, I believe it is. It might be verse 21. It says this, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Now, there's something about grafting, you know, when you graft it, you can take a golden apple, for instance, you can graft it into a red apple tree, and that red apple tree will grow, 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 grow golden apples. Okay, that was twisting my tongue there. It wasn't very hard, but it wasn't working. So it has to have the same nature to be grafted into that tree. So when you're born of the word, you can take the word and you can receive with meekness. Now, anytime the Word of God says something and your natural thinking is different than what the Word of God says, guess what you need to do? You need to take a meek attitude toward the Word of God. In other words, if your thinking is going this direction and the Word of God is going this direction, you need to repent. You need to turn around from your thinking in this way and you need to go this direction. Right? You need to go the way of the word. Because any time that you make a conscious decision to go against what you know the scripture says, because the scripture is truth, right? Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, verse 17. So anytime you make a conscious decision, when the word of God says this, and you make a conscious decision to do that, what you're doing is going against the word of God. And if you go against the word of God, you're going to reap an unhealthy harvest in that area. You're going to give the devil a stronghold in your life. 
Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, my son Andrew had just finished college and he was getting ready to buy a house. And I loaned him $40,000 so that he could buy a house in Denver. It was in the downturn, so he'd have 20% down. And he, he went, of course, I'm very conservative, and they were, him and Bree, they were looking at houses. He was married at that time, and, and they found a nice house in Lakewood. I mean, it was about 3,500 square foot, five bedroom, three bath. It was, in, it was in 2011, in the very bottom of the market. And, and I thought this house they were looking at was worth 235 to 250,000. It was on the market for 265,000. So they might made a mark, uh, an offer of 260,000. But the bank didn't appraise it. When it was appraised, it appraised for 250,000. So I thought, well, they're, they're, the people either going to have to come down or they're not going to get it. The people wouldn't come down. I don't know who's so stubborn they won't come down. So the people wouldn't come down. So I, I told Andrew, you got to just throw in the towel. He said, no, I'll tell you what. He said, I'm going to give you your $40,000 back, and you need to get out of my business. So he gave me my $40,000 back. Now, my good friend Ashley Teredes came to me, and he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, the word of God says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and you need to get out of his business. And if he needs, makes a mistake, you need to let him make a mistake. He said, and besides that, God's going to take care of him. Yeah. Well, you know what? When Ashley came and told me that, you know what I did? I repented. I said, yes, sir, Jesus. Why? Because the word of God said something that was different than what I was doing. So Andrew went and got a first-time homebuyer loan. I believe it was a 5% down loan with his own money, not a 20% down. And he had the house appraised again. And it appraised for $260,000. And he bought that house. He did really good. You know, and he owned it for two or three, four years. I don't know what it was. And him and Bree had got a good job by then, moved up, and they wanted to buy a nice house. And the expensive houses hadn't gone up. So there was a house in Cherry Creek, it was about a 5,000 square foot, two-story brick house, really nice home. And it had been on the market for five years for 830,000 off and on the market. They just put a new stone-coated steel roof on it. They just recarpeted it. They just repainted it. They had it on the market for 860,000. I said, Andy, they'll, they'll take 830. You offer them 830. Praise God. And he offered them 830, and he bought that house. Praise God. And he, I thought his house by then was worth 325,000. He put it on the market for 360,000. He sold it in one day with three offers at 375,000. Okay? And then he bought this $800,000 house that's now worth over 1.6 million. They've sold several around him that are not as nice, and they've sold them in one day for 1.6 million plus. Amen? And his is one of the nicer houses in the neighborhood. So the young man is very, very blessed, and Jesus took care of him well. Amen? But when the Word of God says something and you have a different idea, guess what? Go the direction of the Word. Because when you go the direction of the Word, when you repent, when you submit yourself to the Word, you're going to win, and in long term, things are going to work out good. But if you go a different direction than the Word, you're going to cause yourself problems in the future that you don't maybe don't even know about. So whenever the Word of God says something, you think something different, listen, you go the direction of the Word. Receive with meekness. You're born of the Word. Take a meek attitude towards the Word. You go the direction of the Word. And when you go the direction of the Word, you're going to win in life for the long term. Amen? 
Praise God. So we receive freedom, number one, through forgiveness and through grace. We receive freedom, number two, through knowing who Jesus is. We, re we receive freedom, number three, through getting a revelation of the Word of God. And if you're born again, you're born of the Word, and, and you need to receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able. Your spirit's already saved, but it's able to save your soul. Sometimes you need to change your mind and go the direction of the Word. The fourth thing is we receive freedom through knowing God through Christ. Let's go to John chapter eight and let's finish this up really quickly. Beginning in verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, say we not that you're a Samaritan, you have a devil. Jesus said, I don't have a devil, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I seek not my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he will never see death. Then the Jews said unto him, now we know that you have a devil. Abraham, listen, Jesus said, you're of your father the devil. And then they're telling him, now Jesus, you got a devil. I mean, they're going back and forth. I mean, this is a little bit of a heated discussion. Right? Jesus is holding his own pretty well. And Jesus said, if a man keeps my say, he'll never say that. The Jews said, now we know you have a devil. Abraham is dead in the prophets. And you say, if a man keep my saying, he will never see taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? And who do you make yourself to be? And Jesus said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. You have not known him, but I know him. You know, John 17 verse 3 says, this is eternal life that we know him. Praise God, the true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That he says, I know him. If I say that I don't know him, I'll be a liar like you, but I know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. He was talking about an instance in Genesis chapter 22 when God spoke to Abraham and told him to take his son Isaac and put him on, offer him on Moriah as an offering. You know, Isaac represented everything that Abraham had believed for for years and years. But when God spoke to, to Abraham to do that, he took three days journey. He went to Mount Moriah. He, was, he placed Isaac up there on, and, and bound him as a sacrifice, right? He got, the, he got the knife in his hand. You can read it in Genesis 22. And he was ready to slay him. And as he was ready to slay him, the angel of the Lord, which I believe is a pre-incarnate form of Christ, grabbed him by the hand and said, Abraham, Abraham, don't do this thing. Because you've done this, he said, he said I know who you are, and in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. And Abraham looked, and he said, God has provided a sacrifice. And I, I believe he was looking east, right? He was looking at Mount Moriah, the temple. You know, the temple mount where you see the temple. But just to the north, if you look to the north of Moriah, about a quarter mile is Calvary. And I believe he looked over there at Calvary, the hill of the school, just about a quarter mile north. And he saw a ram caught. In a, in a thicket by his horns. And he went and he took that ram and he offered him in, his, in the place of his son. And he called the name of the place in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Praise God. I, I, you know what? I'm looking forward. I believe when we get to heaven, we can watch that back and God will play it back for us in video. Amen. 3D video we can watch as Abraham's doing that. And Abraham rejoiced. You see, Abraham saw God. Abraham saw Christ. Then the Jews said unto him in verse 57, you're not 50 years old and you say that you've seen Abraham? 
And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. In other words, Jesus said, I am the eternal God. He is God manifest in the flesh. You see, we believe that Jesus is the full and the final representation of God. We believe that Jesus is the visible representation of an invisible God. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. We believe that Jesus Christ is God. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. Praise God. So how can we experience freedom? Number one, we experience freedom through forgiveness and through grace. Number two, we experience freedom through understanding who Jesus is. Jesus has the nature of God. He's life. He's light. He's love. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the savior of the world. Number three, we receive revelation by getting a revelation. We receive freedom by getting a revelation of the word of God. And number four, we receive freedom by knowing God through Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the full and final revelation of God. He is God manifest in the flesh. Amen. And when you get to know Jesus, amen, you can experience the freedom that he made available in his death, resurrection, amen, and through sending the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Thank you for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.